Hey, sports fans, you're tuned into the Emerald City Fandom Podcast. We're Seattle fans talking Seattle sports. We're your hosts. I'm Connor Fredrickson. And I'm Sam Hoganson. You ready to get started? Let's send it. Welcome back to the pod, folks. This is episode 19, and Sam's back. Woo! What's up, Sam? Pete? Sam, welcome back. Happy to be back, brother. Yeah, we missed you on the last episode. So, um, Also joining us today, as as he has in, in the past few weeks and filled in admirably for Sam last week, is Justin from Over the Top EPL. Justin, how are you doing, sir? Doing great. I just want to ask Sam a quick question. Oh, Lord, here we go already. What's up? As you were enjoying family time in Chicago, did you almost jump out of your skin and come and beat my ass for me drinking a cider on your podcast? You know, I was pretty damn close. I listened to the podcast as soon as it came up in the morning and I was just like face palm like you wouldn't believe. I thought we already went over this. This is a great story. <laughs> like literally we talked time, about this. I, I know. Like years ago, the first time I ever came over to Justin's apartment and I walked in and he had some angry orchards there. I was like, what is this? <laughs> I hope this is your girlfriend's drinks. Jeez Louise, man. Come on. Hey, man. Just got to make do with what I have. Today, uh, to segue, I got this nice big glass of water, which I need to refill, actually. Oh, so that's what I'm sipping on. Justin, Justin, Justin. I will give you a pass just because it's technically dry January, though it's dry January with COVID, so that doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, so you so have a recent pass. You have pretty much, I mean, but it, you have exactly one episode to get your shit back in order and get some alcohol in your in your place. Yes, sir. Here's what I don't next understand podcast. is we live in Seattle. There's this company called Amazon. I don't know if you heard of it. But like, I'm assuming you're a Prime member. You can do Prime now and have a bottle like before this podcast is over. True. It's kind of true. It's so there's literally no excuse to be drinking water. I try to shop local, so I'll make you know sure what? to check out Amazon. As we do this podcast, we're, we <laughs> see each other on video and Zoom. If you're going to sip any water, you need to go off the video and drink that shit. Because I don't want to see it. All right, anyway. What do you think, do you think about that? <laughs> Apparently, you can't, you can't handle it. He's, he's going off screen now and sipping his water. Sam, since, since you know, we're, we're actually drinking something tonight, what are, you, what are you sipping on tonight, sir? Oh, I'm sipping on something real special, Connor. You should know. Yeah. He's a, a man that sticks true to his word. And with Dylan Morris being the leading passer for our Huskies this season, I did win a bottle of whiskey from Connor. And he was kind enough to have it waiting for me on my front steps when I came home. And it is a nice bottle, small batch, copper distilled by Bowman Brothers. It's their Pioneer Spirit, Virginia straight bourbon whiskey. And I just poured myself a glass. I haven't tasted it yet. I figured it's only right to have my first sip live on the podcast. So here we go. I'll give you a review in a minute. You're hearing the first sip right here, folks. 
<laughs> tastes like victory, man. <laughs> well, congratulations, man. Yeah, I was happy to do it because I thought Dylan Morris played very well in his first year wearing purple and gold. So we'll see what that means going into the next year. And we'll, we'll touch on that in a little bit in this podcast. Uh, me currently, I'm drinking an Elysian Immortal IPA. And I have some bullet bourbon here as well for a little bit later in the podcast because certainly I'm going to need it when we get to the Hawks stuff. But let's talk about some dogs to start with, Sam. I teased it at the end of last episode that we have some news to talk about and most of it is positive. So why don't you you give our listeners a little bit of an update kind of on the state of the roster at this point in the offseason going into 2021 and why, why Husky fans should be excited going into in the next year. Yeah, for sure. Especially with the whole COVID season and pause on eligibility. You know, we were waiting to hear back from a couple of draft eligible key contributors from this season's team, whether or not they're going to come back or not. And we got a lot of good news. I'll just kind of run down the list and, and the three different buckets, those who are leaving, going to the draft, those who are coming back to play in 2021 and then a small handful of folks that we haven't really gotten any clarity from whether or not they'll be back or not. So in that first bucket, Elijah Molden and Keith Taylor, two of our mainstays the last couple of years in the defensive backfield are and have announced their intentions to prepare for the draft. Both of them will likely get drafted probably first two days, I would guess. Maybe Keith Taylor might slip a little bit, but I think he'll – do well at the combine if he gets invited. So I think they'll both be off to the races in their professional career. And then the big news is all of the guys coming back, honestly, really surprised with a couple of these. We've got our center coming back in Luke Wattenberg, our left tackles coming back in Jackson Kirkland. So you're solidifying an offensive line that is going to be fully returning in 2021. They didn't give up a single sack and for the most part, in my opinion, played really well in 2020. So hopefully they can continue to gel and build some of the, that momentum going into next season. So that, that was a big win. Obviously, with the brand of football that Jimmy Lake is trying to play, that offensive line is really important. So having those seniors, I guess Jackson Kirkland's technically a junior, but he redshirted. He's been around the program for a long time. But having the, the veterans come back there, really helpful. And then along the defensive front, the Rhino, Ryan Bowman, he, I think, got the Rona and sat out a couple games, but he'll be back. And we really missed him down the stretch, especially in that Stanford game and the Utah game. Really will be helpful to have him back and setting the edge, getting after the passer being able to kind of be that versatile lineman that can play on the edge and inside on in certain scenarios. Sean McGrew is also announced his intentions to come back for his final season and will be in the backfield in 2021. But the big one, the big one that really shocked all of us, I think is Connor's main man, the dark horse pick that he had the beginning of the season to be our leading receiver. I'll let you do the honors here, Connor, because this, this is big news. Yeah, Kate Otten is coming back to Montlake in 2021. And I think Sam Sam mentioned it. I don't remember if it was on or off, Mike, kind of going throughout 
this last season as as games were happening and stuff and he was putting up performances whether he would come back or not um just because he he's obviously showed on game tape that he's an nfl capable tight end um i think he would have risen up draft boards very quickly as more eyes got on him as you know scouts are reviewing tape over the off season and he gets his measurables at a combine atmosphere as well i think he would have done really well in a combine combine atmosphere and especially in a lot of the interviews and stuff like that he's a smart kid and a tough physical football player that just has all the attributes that you're looking for in a, in a solid tight end and i think it's just it, that's just massive to have a, a target like that especially in the husky offense that relies heavily upon their tight ends and to have a stud and you know I think arguably the best tight end in the country going into next year, you could put him, he's going to be in that John Mackey award. Oh yeah. Like preseason hype. So um, super excited to have Kate Otten back, back on Montlake in 2021. I think we also talked about this too, Sam, these guys are pissed with how this season ended. And um, I just said off mic to you that I think the, in, in a way, the best thing that could have happened to the 2021 Husky football team was how the season ended in 2020. Um, so I don't know if you had a little bit of thoughts about that. And then I know that we have a few guys that we're still waiting on decisions for um, as, as this off season continues. Yeah. I think that for sure played a huge role in a lot of these guys choosing to come back. You know, they even, you know, subliminally referenced that, theme in some of their tweets that, you know, when they were announcing they were coming back, unfinished business, you know, didn't end the season the way that they wanted to, especially with the whole fiasco of being Pac-12 North champs and then watching Oregon go and end up playing in the Fiesta Bowl. That's probably where we should have been. So they're pissed. The rest of the roster's pissed, but I do think that that is you know, a chip on the shoulder, not only of these guys coming back that really could have gone potentially, but for the entire roster coming back, that's going to be a chip on their shoulder all off season. And that's only going to be a positive thing for this team going into 2021. We are waiting to hear from three players that had a significant role in the team. So Kamari Pleasant, our starting running back, Josiah Bronson, our starting interior defensive lineman, although he kind of, both of them rotated in kind of, you know, hockey shift fashion there, both in the running back room and the defensive line room. And then our punter, Race Porter, they all could come back. I, at this point, am more or less anticipating that all three of them will, unless they've decided to hang up the cleats, I guess. And of course, there's also three other names that are worth mentioning, which were the preseason opt-outs. So tight end Jacob Kaiser that we mentioned earlier in you know, the infant stages of our podcast. <laughs> he was an opt-out that kind of surprised us. He was supposed to be our number two tight end, really you know, right there with Kate Otten, but he ended up opting out. Taj Davis is a wide receiver that opted out. And then Isaiah Gilchrist was a defensive back that opted out. All three of them technically could return. I haven't really heard much about 
any one of those three in particular. So at this point, I'm not really anticipating any of them deciding to come back for 2021. But if I could choose one, I would take Jacob Kaiser back in a heartbeat. Having another big body tight end, you know, proven blocker at, you know, this D1 Pac-12 level wouldn't hurt. But I'm not holding out hope for any of those three to come back. Of the three guys that we're waiting on that did play significant roles for the team, who do you want back the most? Josiah Bronson. He, I think yeah. he had a rough 2020 season. He was also playing out of position for some games while Ryan Bowman was out. They kind of moved him to the edge. But I think, you know, similarly to my sentiment around Jacob Kaiser, just another big body that's proven to be able to make some plays at this level. I think Josiah Bronson is the same way. He's big, physical guy. He's really surprisingly athletic for his size. And I just think having another veteran leader in that room, as we're bringing some of the young guns that are up and coming along, I think would be really helpful. The only caveat to that, I mean, I don't have to tell any of our listeners. I'm not the biggest Kamari Pleasant fan. I think he played surprisingly well this this season and contributed more than I anticipated. But if he, I don't really, our running back room is so deep. We have, Mm -hmm. you know, two guys on the roster as true freshmen this year that didn't see the field that I think could do some special things. So I don't think that that losing Kamari Pleasant would be as painful. The only other thought that I might have if I'm second guessing my choice of Josiah Bronson is race Porter, just because we didn't see any punting out of Tristan Brown. And so not really sure what that might look like. And I do think that race Porter played admirably. So anytime you can have, you know, a proven punter back there would be helpful. But my hope honestly is that all three come back, but if I had to choose one, I think I'd stick with Josiah Bronson. What do you, what do you think? I would totally agree with that. I think having rotation at that defensive line spot and one that we're not, there's not a lot of like super proven talent at that, at that spot. We have Mm -hmm. some young and exciting talent, obviously, but I think having an older, older guy in the room is, is beneficial. I think it would be like his seventh season too. It would be, yeah, it'd be (laughs) a seventh season. So like really old, you know, gray hair and his beard probably at that point. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm actually worried if Kamari Pleasant comes back. Um, main reason, obviously, we've made our sentiment known that that we think Cam Davis should be the lead back going in the next year, and he needs to get his touches. And I think some of that will happen, but I'm just I'm 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 not only worried about enough touches to go around, but just how deep and crowded that backfield is. Like you said, what's the transfer situation going to look like come spring? You know, as, as these guys are yeah. kind of duking it out and battling it out, if you if you have a Kamari Pleasant coming back, like, are you really gonna like if if both Sean McGrew and Kamari Pleasant are coming back yeah. as you know fifth year seniors, you have to give them touches. Um, like, I think you're kind of almost forced into that position, and I think Cam Davis would see, you know, Cam Davis would see that and say, I can go start for any other Pac-12 team. Like, why would I hang around here? Or, you know, maybe even one of the younger kids at JV on Sunday or. Right. So I'm a little worried about that, to be quite honest. I think, I think, I think Richard Newton, I almost am 
expecting at this point to probably transfer. Um, we'll see what happens come springtime. He just, he obviously fell out of favor. And if we're looking at the same running back room going into the next year, I can't imagine that he's super Too thrilled. With, yeah. <laughs> super thrilled with his position in that group. Um, but you know, maybe he's, I don't know the kid, you know, maybe he wants to prove people wrong and come comes out and impresses the coaches in spring ball. So we'll definitely be, uh, that's one of the more intriguing positions to watch for sure. Especially as we're waiting on Kamari Pleasant's decision, if he's going to return, I'm a little worried about that one though. Obviously happy to have Sean McGrew come back. Like obviously a, a capable and proven back for us. And you know, he can, he can have his game or have his night every once right. in a while too. Um, and, and, you know, we don't have another back like him, like kind of, you know, that scat back, that kind of all purpose back that you can use in space and especially in, in the, the receiving game, but whatever way to get Cam Davis touches, I think is, the best way for for this running back room to um improve going into 2021 and i think kamari pleasant coming back would probably limit that that from happening yeah no i i agree with you on that i think it'll be a really interesting position group to watch especially going into spring ball I, i'm it'll be interesting because we can take a, a bigger roster into spring and then you know, I do anticipate the transfer portal to be a little busy. Yeah. You know, in terms of exports from UW. Yeah. So sure. it'll be interesting to see how some of that stuff shakes out. Another room that's going to be probably absolutely will be the most talked about group is the QB room mm -hmm. for a couple of reasons. Some more offseason moves. Jacob Sermon entered the transfer portal. We already talked about him on the podcast before. He's going to Central Michigan. That's not a surprise. He had entered the transfer portal briefly the year before. And wish him but, the best. Yeah, yeah. I think him coming back was, you know, awesome to have him. But I think he the writing the writing was on the wall there. For sure. And I, hopefully you can't he can, blame him. Yeah, hopefully he can find his footing at Central Michigan and have a you know decent second half of his career and then the shocking one is our true freshman ethan garbers has decided to transfer to ucla and just ah i don't really know what to say like i'm really surprised i mean i don't understand why or what would have changed to make him transfer maybe he thought he was going to come in and be the starter as a true freshman maybe he got you know, scared by Sam Heward, but I don't know. Kind of just let's, seems like a bitch move to me, to be honest. Yeah, let's let's bring Justin in for this conversation. I think you have some choice words for Ethan Garbers. Well, I mean, like, what are we doing? He knows, as you guys were talking about pre-show, uh, he knew Sam or Heward. Uh, why my did it, is it Sam, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't know why I was telling myself. Yeah, Sam Heward was committed to UW. And so he knows the situation he's walking into. And now he didn't win the starting job, but I don't know. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong. He was not the favorite to win, correct? No. No. As yeah, a true like, freshman, uh, I, right. it's very hard to. <laughs> right. So. Uh, and so I don't know what he expects. And now that he's third in line, now maybe fourth in line, he's decided, oh, I actually want to play now. So I, I just don't know why he committed here in the first place. So I'm, yeah. I'm perplexed. It seems really fishy and maybe me – you know, calling it a bitch move is a little bit harsh because we don't know 
some of the personal details there. Like maybe he wants to be closer to home, but like he's from Northern California. So it's not like Seattle's any further than LA. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't, I don't know. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but if he doesn't want to be here, I don't want him to be here. So good riddance. And probably wasn't going to see the field anyways, because our boy Sam Heward's coming in and him and Dylan Morris for all intents and purposes are going to have a showdown whenever Sam shows up. That'll be really fun to watch. The other thing to call out here is it only took us like five days to replace Ethan Garbers. We got a grad transfer from Colorado state, Patrick (laughs) O'Brien, and maybe it's more of a replacement for Jacob Sermon. They're more similar Patrick sure. O'Brien has a big prototypical frame. He's 6'5", 235 pounds. He had a fairly productive 2019 season. In his 2020 stats, they only played four games and wasn't great. 56% completion percentage, I think, in 2019, it was like a little bit better, maybe 60%. And only you know, 600 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions. So I think this is obvious case where Patrick is looking to get a UW diploma, which is good on him. It's a solid diploma. I think all three of us can agree on that one. (laughs) And he's going to be a practice arm for us. I don't anticipate him to make a really make a run at Dylan Morris's job, but Sam Heward definitely will. Yeah, and I mean, it, this was just the case. The scholarship was available, um, with especially with Ethan Garber's kind of unexpected transfer, at least to to the average UW fan, it was unexpected. Right. And it's it's just a it's a body, and um, the the one thing that that obviously left us with only two scholarship QBs going into twenty twenty one, and Dylan Morris and Sam Heward. So Patrick O'Brien fills that third third scholarship spot spot there and um yeah probably won't really factor into the qb competition per se like sam said but you know if the sky is falling and both guys go down then at least we have someone with some game experience that could fill in um you're probably at that point talking about a lost season anyway though so yeah absolutely i think that pretty much wraps up most of the husky specific news Mm -hmm. to update Mm -hmm. the listeners on i know there's a couple of broader ncaa college football topics that we want to discuss right off the top what a turnaround comeback by coach sarkeesian your newest head head ball coach for the university of texas longhorns pretty cool story i'm happy for him and i'm definitely Mm -hmm. rooting for him to do well yeah, it did not take long for Texas to fill that position. I think they pretty much had already lined that up when they fired Herman. Was that on New Year's Day? Yes. I think that was Friday morning, yeah. Yep. Um, so woke up to that news that Herman had, had been fired, and within an hour there were already reports that Sarkeesian had interviewed for the job and was widely expected to accept it. Later in the day came out that he had accepted the job and – was officially um, announced as the as the new head football coach at at University of Texas. So amazing opportunity for him. Um, he's yeah. had a rough a rough you know past five to six years or so getting back to this point. 
And this is one of those, one of those things that can be a really cool story if, if this works out. I think, I think Sark has all the tools to be a really good head coach. Obviously had a huge falling out kind of at the end of his UW days and um, in his whole career as the USC head head coach um, for what was, was he there for two years? Something I think like he is only there for one. I thought was he only there for one year. Um, so obviously a huge falling out and has, has battled alcoholism, um, but has been, has been sober for the past, I think four plus years or so um, now. And what is going to be coaching in the championship game uh, as the, offensive coordinator for Alabama, obviously one of the most, if not the most explosive offense in the country. Sark is an offensive minded coach and he certainly knows how to call plays. So if you're to expect anything from Texas football, they're going to have a damn good offense. Yeah. The other thing that I know that Sark does is he's a hell of a recruiter. So um, Texas always, you know, gets their blue chips. Like that's, that's not something that should be hard to do in Texas. Um, to recruit to the Longhorns, but um, he'll certainly continue that tradition um, and maybe even take it to another level. I don't, I don't know what Tom Herman's background was in recruiting, but Sark, if if not better, he's at least as good as Tom Herman was at recruiting. Yeah, I'm expecting really good things from Sarkeesian at University of Texas. I, I mean, he was the UW coach while we were in school for the majority of it, yep. and I honestly hold him in in a really good place in in my mind as a husky fan he i mean he took over the season and the coach who shall not be named and <laughs> he really turned it around both in terms quick. of yeah recruiting and just getting us back to a place where we were competitive mm-hmm. winning seasons and so i think he did a lot for UW football and honestly He's the reason we ended up with Peterson and he's the reason why we have Jimmy Lake today. And right. I'm cool with that. And I know some people were salty about the way that he left UW. Obviously, you know, I was, I was, I, I mean, I was for a solid year or two, probably after it happened. Yeah. Obviously, See, obviously we traded up with Peterson, but I mean, I was, for sure. I was still, I was still salty about it. Like, especially the day that it went down. Absolutely. Like, yeah. He had yeah. just gone on like a morning radio show like either that day or the day before and been like, oh yeah, I I don't want to leave you dub. Like this is like this is where I want to be for a long time, like basically. And then next day basically accepts the USC job, which again, I think USC was always kind of his dream school to go back to to it for be sure a head coach. was. So yeah. and I, we always knew that. I think he, you know, I guess I think he was only, you know, 33, 35 years old or something at the time. So maybe chalk it up to a little bit of immaturity, but it's also, that's such a tough spot to be in. Like, what are you supposed to say in the moment? So I kind of forgave and forgot for him for that. And we always knew like if USC came calling, he was going to go back, you know, he was there for all the heyday of Pete Carroll as, you know, the assistant or the offensive coordinator there kind of interchanged with, Lane Kiffin, but I knew he was going to go back. So I kind of got over that. Obviously his demons kind of crept up and caught him, you know, while he was down there. But I think, 
at the University of Texas, watch out. I mean, I was texting some buddies and I'm excited even just for the landscape of college football to get Texas back on the map and start messing sure. around with the Bamas and the Clemsons of the in Ohio States of the world. Like, I just want to see a different team mm-hmm. come and contend with those three. And yeah. we haven't really had that. I mean, not Georgia's, since young, really. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I would love to see the Longhorns be, you know, a top 10 team year in, year out. I think Sark can do that. The only other thing I want to call out before we move off of this subject is, you know, we talk about the undertone of this season, but it's really been a theme for the last few seasons. We're on the Pac-12 just like falling behind some of the, you know, SEC teams, Big 12 teams. Firing Coach Tom Herman was a pretty penny. I think the boosters at University of Texas ponied up for $25 million of buyout. For him and his assistants, yeah. For him and his assistants. I think they owed Herman 15 and the assistants mm-hmm. like almost another $10 million. That shit isn't happening at a Pac-12 school. And so I think in some ways, like that's just a very clear indication of where that separation lies. It's like we the people that fund our schools on the West coast and particularly our athletics don't care that much to fire a coach, let alone fire a goddamn commissioner. That's running the whole conference into the ground. Hashtag fire Larry Scott. We can't even pony up to pay his buyout to fire him. So I don't know. It's just like, for me, at least personally kind of triggered me. It's just like, we're not playing on the same playing field here. Like they're more committed to winning football games than we are. And as long as that's the case, we're always going to be fighting an uphill battle. And I just think this is a realization that a lot of people should have. Yeah. I ask you guys a question real quick. Go for it. Yeah, please, Justin. Of all the conferences out there, all of them, Mm. where do you think the national media ranks the PAC 12? uh probably sixth so there are five probably. power conferences so you think what, yep. the american like yeah yeah with cincinnati and stuff yeah that's just fucking sad yep hashtag fire larry scott why do you think i've been clamoring on this podcast hoping somebody would listen that can make it's a difference the number one thing that needs to happen that can immediately boost the pac 12s relevance yeah. is someone in that commissioner spot that's actually going to advocate for the schools and isn't all about just TV money and is about putting high-quality talent and products on the field. <laughs> Dude, it's not I mean, even it's... about TV money. It's about those third-country streaming companies. Got to get sure. that money, too, so nobody here can watch it. But if you're in that's Bangladesh, true. you can watch Husky basketball. Yeah, what was I should it? I say alter, alternate streaming money. That's what I should say. Flow Sports. What the hell was it? Oh, I have no idea. Husky game. Yeah, the Baylor. Remember that? Yep. Seems like yep. ages ago. It was our first game of the season, and the only way that you could watch it was on flowhoops.net flowhoops.com or something net. like that. Net, that'd be- and you had to. Have, it, was, it was like twelve twelve dollars to even sign up, and that's what you would have to pay to even watch one game. Ridiculous. So, yeah, I don't know. We could go on a full episode rant about this, but we should probably we move will. on. But I figured it was figured it was worth, you know, 
kind of an obvious realization. I think there's a lot of West Coast fans that are upset about our lack of respect in the media or lack of competitiveness, but it's just different. Money matters in college football these days, and it's only going to continue to matter more. And from a dollar perspective, we are not as committed to winning on the field as a lot of other conferences and other teams. Well, and that's why you need the blue bloods of the Pac-12. This is my last point. Yeah, like USC, Oregon, and and Washington. No, 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 no. With Phil, with Phil Knight's po- with Phil Knight's pockets, though, like no. that's the, the this is the money that you have to be don't involving. You need, don't you school. need a national championship to be considered a blue blood of the conference? Sure, sure. get out I, of here. I get what I Connor said. I'm gonna defend. I'm gonna defend. All I'm all I'm saying is the 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 schools that have money. That's what I'm saying by blue bloods. I guess more than anything. That's, Those are the three. huge difference. Okay. Well, I mean, th- those are the th- those are the three schools that we're talking about that could be on a national relevance at this point, though, in the Pac-12, right? I think UCLA could and should. Maybe, I don't yeah, see maybe. I, and Stanford, maybe too. But like, not to like. I mean, obviously, they, they don't have the same kind of like booster support that these other schools do in their athletics. Yeah, um, it's it's a different ballgame down in Stanford, but um, yeah, I don't know, man. I. I think the two most realistic things to happen with the Pac-12 on its way back to possible relevancy is obviously it starts with Larry Scott being fired. Like that needs to happen. That's step one. And then the only other pathway that I can see is if there's a conference realignment. And I don't know what that looks like. Um, I think that's years off. Like, I don't think that that would happen in like the next five years, probably like next 10, maybe I could see it happening. But um, I think that's the only way that the West Coast becomes relevant in in, in the national perspective when it comes to college football is is those two things. And um, yeah, I mean, that's that's where I'm at with it. Like, it's it's utterly ridiculous how poorly the Pac-12 is looked at from a national perspective and you see it on the field too. Like, I mean, uh, we just had our Pac-12 champion, oh, 25th no, ranked no. Oregon Ducks. No, 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 I don't know why I said our, I we, we saw, which I, I loved this. Like Iowa state basically embarrassed them on national TV but Oregon just embarrassed themselves more than anything. I mean, they made blunder after blunder. Obviously, just signed Cristobal to a huge new, new deal. And with the ways that he's kind of, he's obviously a great recruiter. What was some of the personnel decisions that that he was making? And I think Anthony Brown was definitely the better quarterback this year. I don't know why he wasn't playing this year. Um, so some of those personnel decisions is huge red flag. I think, and I don't mind Cristobal signing that extension at all right now. They'll definitely get talent to Oregon, but if they keep putting up performances like they did in in twenty twenty, that that that's going to dry up pretty quick. So we need to fire Larry Scott and then hire David Shaw to be the commissioner. Wouldn't be a bad hire. I mean, I he's certainly a smart smart guy and obviously knows the 
that would be interesting just because like i mean it's it's obviously a guy that's coaching the conference for forever like, what 12 <laughs> years or something like that now 10 yeah. years um that would be interesting i i'd be for that i we'll see what happens i we're at this point and i feel like the it's a tick, ticking time bomb before larry scott eventually gets fired but it's just uh, the the presidents and chancellors of the universities have to fucking pony up like this needs yeah. this is this is getting out of control yeah totally agree no we went off on a tangent on that one the only other like you know college football landscape thing that i'm keeping my mind on is the boise state head coach vacancy mm-hmm. and so brian harson he ended up where did he end up going again auburn auburn which yes. was also very interesting choice right. that'll be you know i think he's a really good coach it'll be interesting to see if he can make it work down in sec country but that leaves a vacancy at boise state obviously you know the first candidate there was offensive coordinator for the dallas cowboys and boise state legend kellen moore he has announced his intentions to stay in the pro leagues with the cowboys i think he's going to likely get an extension done with them to stay the offensive coordinator but the reason why this is got my curiosity and my attention is Boise state is going to fill that vacancy with a Chris Peterson disciple. The two odds on favorites right now are Andy Avalos, the defensive coordinator for Oregon ducks and the head coach from Montana state, Jeff Choate, who was here at UW when Peterson came over. And the reason why that's particularly interesting to me is if one of those guys from the Peterson tree end up, at Boise state, you might run into a situation where it could cause some coaching turnover for the Huskies. If someone like a Bob Gregory gets poached to be a defensive coordinator, which I wouldn't wouldn't be too disappointed about, but I think just, you know, everything in that coaching circle is pretty tight and it wouldn't blow me away to see one of our guys get poached for, you know, a little bit of a promotion in terms of coaching position at Boise state. So just, you know, we don't need to go too deep on that one, but just something to keep an eye on as that is a developing story. But my guess is that I, I hope for Boise state and for Choate, I, I think he's a really good coach and would do good things there. So I'm rooting for him to get it, but either way, I'd be shocked if it's not a Peterson disciple. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that it's Choate just because I kind of want Andy Avalos's defense to yeah. stay Stick around, stay, stay at Oregon. Um, but we'll, we'll see what happens. All right, guys, let's transition here. I think oh, we've boy. mostly had our, had our Husky talk for the night. Um, and there'll be more to talk about kind of as, as the months go, go on here, but Obviously, the most most relevant subject and most relevant sports team right now in in Seattle that's currently playing is is the Seattle Seahawks, and they just finished up their season today with a twenty six to twenty three victory over San Francisco. With that, they wrapped up the three seed going into the postseason next week, and they will be taking on the mighty L.A. Rams. And uh, obviously want to talk about this game first off and a, a game that we have seen over and over 
and over again in Pete Carroll's years. Justin, I'm going to start off with you. We talked up Pete Carroll a lot on the last podcast, but I could not help but completely just demolish my head against a wall today with the way that this team performed and the, you know, just the, it's becoming just, it's becoming a problem that we, we, we don't show up until the middle of the fourth quarter or into the fourth quarter or midway through the third quarter, even um, especially from an offensive side side of things. But uh, I, I want, I want to hear your thoughts on it though. Maybe you'll bring me back down to earth. Well, Connor, obviously you can't win a game in the first or second quarter. Stop. It can only be won in the fourth quarter. All right, Justin, shut up. Sam, your turn. (laughs) No, on a serious note. Go ahead, Justin. I I mean, it's frustrating. I mean, six points through a half. I mean, obviously we were winning, but it's ugly football. And even through three quarters, I mean – I'll start with the positive. The defense, even though it wasn't as good against the as it was against the Rams, I think mm-hmm. it's shown significant improvements in the first half of the season. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to like there. There's a lot to like with the D-line, with the Dunlap's acquisition, Sam's breakout of the player of the year. Good job, Sam. Um, there's Mayoa's playing in a really good role. Uh, Bobby is playing well. KJ has been awesome. I don't know how he didn't get to the Pro Bowl, but, you know neither here nor there. Um, And then the cornerbacks haven't been atrocious, which they were in the beginning. Uh, So a lot to like, but as we were texting today, it's total Pete Carroll ball, especially with the offense and the play calling, the, the routes, et cetera. It's just really frustrating. And I, I don't see it as a championship winning football team. If we play like this in the playoffs against really good teams. So I think overall frustrating when CJ Beathard has better stats than Russell Wilson, I think that's frustrating as well. Um, So that obviously needs, something needs to happen with that. I'll turn it over to you guys. Go ahead, Sam. I want to hear your thoughts too. Yeah. I mean, pretty similar thoughts. We probably all feel the same general way about this game. Like, definitely shouldn't have been this close and it's really frustrating to see the offense struggle as much as they have Russell Wilson continues to just not look like himself he's holding on to the ball looking for the deep ball too much not taking what the defense giving him and I don't know what to really it's a head scratcher on offense to see us kind of struggle this way both through the air and on the ground. None of it really started to get going until, you know, we're our backs are up against the wall. I do appreciate Justin's call out of the defense. I think, I mean, that's in large part, the reason why we won the game is holding them to field goals down at the goal line and overall playing three quarters of really solid defense. I think one of the other player call outs there. Justin mentioned that the corners haven't been playing abysmally, which is, I think, totally worth a tip of the cap to DJ Reed. I think has come in and really solidified himself as our second corner. He continues to play really well and has made a solid difference for this team. So I really like what I'm continuing to see from a defensive perspective, but man, offensively, it seems like we don't have a lot of confidence in what we're doing, what we're seeing on the field. 
and I'm kind of left scratching my head to be quite honest. I don't know where you go from here. Yeah. It's just a trend that looks really, really effing familiar to the last, you know, five or six years of, of Seahawks offense. Um, Obviously we know that this offense is capable of more than that because of the talent on it. And we saw that on full display for the first, you know, five or six weeks of the year. The thing that drives me crazy that I was trying, I was kind of alluding to when I was first bringing up, bringing up this game against San Francisco is the fact that when a Pete Carroll coach team comes up against a good defense and typically you run into pretty good defenses in playoff games. And we've seen this notoriously in playoff games. We tend to try to feel out the defense um, from, from our offensive side of side of things. So we'll, we'll be pretty conservative with our play calling. Um, we tend to kind of observe what's going on. Russell doesn't look super decisive. Uh, he tends to kind of like be extending plays so that we can kind of see how the defense is moving in certain situations. And it ends up with us either in a very low scoring affair when it shouldn't be like in today's game, or you see us falling behind and you've seen it like in past years with you know, us falling way behind against the Falcons, us falling way behind uh, against the the Panthers and making, you know, runs, but too late in, in some of those playoff games. And that's the thing that I'm the wor- worried about the most going into the playoffs is that same trend continuing. The other thing is uh, Russell, he looked decisive in the fourth quarter, but like he there's something wrong, man. Like I don't, and I don't know what to amount it to. And I kind of want to get your thoughts on this guys. Do you amount that mostly to Russ? Do you amount that to shoddy and play calling? Or do you amount that to this Pete Carroll philosophy of, you know, you can win a game in the fourth quarter and you got to feel a defense out and see, see where you, where you can attack them. I mean, it's probably the classic lame answer of a combination of all three. Yep. Um, I think Russ has been holding onto the ball too long. I mean, that's been a problem that's plagued his entire career. But mm-hmm. specifically, these last eight weeks, we're not we're not releasing the ball in time, and defenses adjust. And you know, defenses in this pandemic year, they didn't get to practice a lot, and we're on the back foot. You saw crazy offensive numbers across the board in the first eight weeks or so in the NFL, but teams adjust they play us with two high safeties now and we can't convert as many of those over the top shots or they're just not there for us as many so we have to take what's uh given to us when we're waiting for long plays to develop or outside rolling play actions which traditionally have been really good for the seahawks uh to develop and these long routes to develop and they're not there pass rush gets in the way um it hurts our offense and i feel like we've had a lot of that slow developing play russell holding onto the ball and not enough of this levels concept where there's short underneath throws for us to check down to. And like you said, take what the defense gives to us. So um, the short answer is lame, uh, which is a combination of the three, but I would have to say uh, the largest chunk of the pie is probably Russell holding onto the ball too long. 
Yeah, I tend to agree with that. I think, I mean, again, I haven't watched the all 22, so I don't know what he's looking at down the field, but it sure seems to me that he's looking for that deep shot really often. Mm -hmm. And again, maybe that's the designed read based on the plays that are being called in from shoddy, but it just feels like he's hesitant. He's not trusting what he's seeing. You know, even if it is covered, you know, I would like to see a deep ball throw, at least like give it a chance. Maybe don't hold the ball and take a sack, but I don't know. Maybe if he ends up letting a couple of those go, their interceptions, and we're having a different conversation now about bitching and moaning about interceptions and not sacks. So maybe. I'll take sacks over interceptions any day of the week, but something's clearly not clicking for this passing offense that obviously was off to historic, you know, historical pace the beginning of the season. I think Justin's point about defense is starting to figure it out a little bit is definitely a, a valid point and something that's absolutely occurring. But I hate to, you know, beat a dead horse, but when the offense started clicking in this fourth quarter, what was the thing that sparked it all? I want to hear Justin say it. Don't even say it, Connor. I want to hear Justin say it. He's taking a refreshing sip of that water. Uh, sorry, I forgot to um, pause the video. Um, I think it was this beautiful throw by Russell Wilson to Tyler Lockett on fourth down, this arching throw, which really kickstarted the momentum. Is that okay. what you're referring to, Sam? That's not what I was referring to. Connor, help him out. He clearly wasn't watching the game. You did start to see a little bit more of uh, Chris Carson and establishing that running game. You don't sound too happy when you say that. I freaking loved it. It won us the game. It it did. And I I think you're totally right that we... um, I'm really conflicted by this and I tend to be right in the middle of you two a lot of the times when it comes to this this whole philosophy I thought our I thought our offense was honestly the most effective and I do want to bring this player up because it was the one positive part of this offense that I saw today was when we were finding Tyler Lockett on the sideline and you know kind of underneath routes um there seemed to be a game uh, a at least for cer- certain drives, not really in the middle half of the game, but, you know, kind of to start with and then towards the end of the game, there seemed to be a a, um, a a game plan, a decisive game plan to involve Tyler Lockett and to get him the ball. And he ends up on the day with 12 receptions for 90 yards and uh, both touchdowns that we scored. Or I guess Alex Collins had a had a touchdown later, but both the touchdowns that really ended up kind of sealing this game for for the Seahawks. Um, so I I think that was that was a positive thing, and I I think that that's something that we've been missing from this offense is kind of that a little bit of that more decisive, you know, uh, actually designed short routes kind of play from 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 this offense at least on a more consistent basis i think sam you hit the nail on the head that 
that uh, Russ was looking way too often to try to hit the home run in this game, especially in the in those middle middle kind of quarters in the second and third quarter. We saw a lot of three and outs, and you know it was first down, drop back, and pass, and Russell kind of scrambling for a second, and that's when we so often see his magic happening. But in this game, he couldn't find anyone open, and he'd either throw it away or um, or you know run for a, a few yards or something like that. So I think I think it's going to be a combination that that we just we we need play, better play design just in general. It it seems like kind of like just a a cop out answer when it comes to this offense, but shoddy just needs to be better. Like you, you attributed a lot of the, a lot of the blame to Russ holding onto the ball too long, Justin. Mm-hmm. I think that there needs to be a more, um, God, I keep looking for a word and I can't find it, but a dynamic. A more, <laughs> no, like there needs to be more of a purpose for, or more purpose behind Russell's decision-making and shoddy needs to help with that in his play design. I guess why I'm fine. Like I'm struggling to find words because I'm at a loss of words in this offense. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's been bad. Um, and it's really head scratching. Like you said, Sam, because we know that this offense is capable of more and they have the weapons to be elite, if not, kind of on the cusp of an elite offense, certainly a good enough offense to take you to a Super Bowl, um, especially the way that this defense is turned around. So I want to see better play design so that Russ can make quicker and more decisive throws, basically, is kind of what I'm looking for from this offense. It's kind of a a simple answer to a way more complex problem that, problem probably but um that's my kind of general takeaway from from what i've seen especially the past eight weeks yeah i mean i one of the things as you were talking about schottenheimer's play calling the thing that stood out to me and i know i texted both of you while it was happening but early in the game when we were looking for a couple of those deep shots they were all off of play actions play action boot and we had no success running the ball. We weren't threatening them with the run game. So in that instance, like, why are we calling play actions? Like that, that's not gonna, the play action is not gonna have the same effect as if we were getting chunk yards on the ground. Like if we're gonna pass in that scenario, like just do a straight drop back, let Russ have the first 1.52 seconds of that play with his eyes on the defense. Don't have his back turned to it if you're not gaining the advantage of fooling the defense into thinking you're running the ball. Mm-hmm. Like to me, that kind of hits the nail on the head of what you were alluding to, Connor, in terms of like, why are we calling a play action? And I mean, maybe it was still so early on in the game that it was part of like our 15, 20 play script that we came into the game with, but like, just didn't make sense to me why we were doing that. So I agree. I do definitely want to see, you know, some more intense or, you know, better intention with some of the plays that we're calling. Yeah. It's a good word for it. And it needs to improve because I mean, the Rams is a tough 
tough draw for us, honestly, especially offensively. Like, Russell got sacked five times when we played him last week or two weeks Mm -hmm. ago or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. So, if we're not getting the ball out of his hands quickly and we're not having success running the ball, I think this is going to be a really low-scoring game. And we just need – we need – some sort of momentum to be gained offensively, which honestly brings me to the next point I wanted to get both of your thoughts on is I know throughout the game, we were texting each other, like pull the starters, pull the starters. Like this game is meaningless. As we noticed that green Bay and new Orleans were going on to win their games. We were kind of, you know, win or lose, we were locked into that three seed. So pull the starters. We kept texting each other back and forth about that. But looking back on it, is there any part of you that feels like that fourth quarter surge that we had offensively, those three touchdowns, maybe do you feel like that was a positive thing in terms of getting some of that momentum in the run game? Russell throws two touchdowns to lock it. We get a running touchdown from Collins. Like maybe in hindsight, I'm feeling a little bit less intense about like how dumb it was to have our starters in and feel like maybe, you know, if our players could take some of that offensive momentum into next week, maybe it turns out to be a good thing. What were you, what are your thoughts looking back on that? Go ahead, Justin. I, uh, I see what you're saying. I mean, I, I think I've, I think I'm moving more towards that direction, but I, I still look at it big picture and with the results, with the results going green Bay's and new Orleans's way and, didn't look like it was going to change. I wanted to pull everyone, get Russell off. I want to see a lot of Geno Smith time. I don't think, I think the worst thing that can happen is injuries. And yes, you could have a little morale, but I almost wanted them to be angry and go in and see the problems because what I'm afraid of happening is they look at this game and be like, Oh yeah, we recovered. So when we go down, we know we can come back and recover in the slow starts. And I want them to address the slow starts to say, this is a problem. We need to fix it versus of, Oh, look how we came back and it's our fighting spirit. Like that's our best quality, which it is, but like, you know, I want them to go and correct the problems rather than be complacent. Sorry. I think I froze there for a second. What was your last point there? I was just saying like, uh, instead of, you know, them being happy with coming back in the fourth quarter. I don't want them to get complacent and be like, Oh, if we start slow, sure. we can always rescue yep. it because which we'll get to in our preview, but our, the next team that we're facing is number one in EPA allowed on defense. It's a very, very good defense. So we yeah. can't, you know, we can't get complacent. And I, I think we've kind of glazed over the, the fact that San Francisco has been a very good defense mm-hmm. this year, even with all the players that they have out and how, how, you know, um, diminished they are in in players this year with with injuries and COVID issues and all that stuff so um i think kyle shanahan said that they were hoping that they could have the 48 players that they needed to to play this game and obviously signed a signed a kicker off the street and tristan viscano former husky who we'll talk about later but they were they've been decimated throughout the throughout the year and it it i think they're honestly very happy the season's over the way that their year's gone Anyway, though, they've been a very good defense. Not surprising me to, to me at all that the data analytics guy doesn't believe in something called momentum. And <laughs> Shocker. 
that's it. momentum's not a thing to to people in the data and analytics world. Can't quantify um, it. Yeah, you can't measure it. So not real. Yeah, exactly. If you can't measure it, it's not real. Uh, there's no number for for amount of momentum that the Seahawks possibly gained by keeping some of their starters in and actually pulling out the game in the fourth quarter. Certainly, obviously, want to see it earlier. Um, like you said, Justin, I. This is just, again, too common of a theme that we've seen over the years in Pete Carroll. <laughs> Pete Carroll, uh, Pete Carroll coach ball clubs is just slow starts on offense and then trying to make a miraculous comeback at the end. And, you know, they pulled it out sometimes, but in the playoffs more often that bites you in the ass. So that's obviously a, a huge concern for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, to more accurately answer your question sam i th i think it was nice to see the offense put a couple of drives together towards the end of that game and get a little bit of momentum going into the playoffs that's what this game really was for me like you know going into this week i you obviously have high hopes for a number one seed possibly if other results go your way but more than anything you just kind of want like a statement victory today which did not happen but like a statement victory that you get some momentum going into the playoffs and are healthy going into the playoffs. You know, you have, you go up somewhat big that you can kind of pull the starters in the second half. And obviously that didn't happen because we were down by two scores in the fourth quarter. So had, had to have kind of the, the offense put together a couple of drives. And again, it, it was, it was good to see there was better going back to my point, there was better play design on on those drives. And I don't know if I attribute that to shoddy, but he was at least putting Russell in better positions to make plays. And that's where we always seen him. I'll go back to your point, Sam. I didn't hate the play action stuff that they were calling. Cause I don't think play action is always like, it's obviously more effective if you have run the ball well, but it's as long as the threat of that run is there, play action can be effective no matter what. That's the real, you know, design behind behind play action. And Russell's been known to be one of the better play action quarterbacks in the league. And I think I think he I think the the real problem was that he was just trying to hit deep shots like most of the game. And you saw him kind of get out more in space like and bootlegs and stuff towards the end of this game which he does really well at throwing on the run as well especially if he has you know that levels concept that you were talking about justin they do that a lot more on the play action rollouts and you've got kind of an underneath guy going the same direction maybe a streaker deep and then like a an intermediate route that's crossing the field as well usually like a tight end like a will dislead or something like that and that seems to be a really effective play style for Russell, especially in those types of moments in games when defenses are just trying to kind of play prevent and they're playing maybe kind of a softer zone. So to sum it up, it was good to see the offense put together a couple of drives. Obviously there's huge risk of injury um, if you're keeping the starters in, especially when it was, it was meaningless towards the end. But I think there is, there is something to having some momentum. And if I wasn't so frustrated with the way that things had gone for the offense up to that point, I probably wouldn't even bring, 
be bringing up this momentum thing, but because of the way that it went and in hindsight, it's easy to look at it and be like, yeah, I think that was like an okay decision. But at the time I was right in Justin's shoes. I was like, just pull the starters. Just like this, uh, this game isn't going to mean anything at this point. Just get out of this game healthy. And that's the number one thing going in the playoffs. Which we largely did with the exception of Jamal Adams. Looks like he got shoulder banged up a little bit. Sounds Mm -hmm. like the immediate word is that he'll be available to play. Yeah. Probably not at a hundred percent, but hopefully we'll have him. Yeah. No way. Yeah. I think it's going to be it. I did. I I did look, go back and look, and Pete Carroll said that it was it, it was not his previously injured shoulder. It was his other shoulder. So Great. I guess that's <laughs> I guess that's a good thing, though. I mean, if you're not re-injuring the same shoulder, chances are it's not at least like as bad. But I mean, he, he the the thing that I was most ter- discouraged by that he he went back in the game. So I think he's gonna play. Like I think I I definitely think he's gonna play. But he seemed pissed on the sideline. And I don't know if I need to amount that to the way that the Seahawks played today or it, it seemed to be very tied to his, his injury, yeah, though. And I agree. I think he's, he's mad that he's not going to be at, you know, closer to 100% going in the playoffs. He knows he's going to be first hampered game. by that. Yeah, he knows he's going to be hampered by that shoulder. Um, I, I, I do fully expect him to play. But I think you're going to see a little bit of a shell of the Jamal Adams that we've seen over the last few weeks, just because he's not going to be able to be quite as aggressive and lay the lay the lumber like he has been and be as physical as he has been. Yeah, no, I, I hopefully he'll be able to deal with that injury this week and be able to play and make his impact felt, but something to definitely keep an eye on. I think with that, do we want to put a bow on this regular season and maybe revisit some of our predictions? I know I had yeah. a good one in there. Before before I do that, I do want to bring up the other injury, and that's Sharon Reed. And just the, the consequences of kind of a short-sighted transaction that the Seahawks had this last week, and that was releasing Snacks Harrison. Um, at a defensive tackle position that Brian Monet was coming back and is is a better player probably than Snacks is at this point in yeah. his career, at least has been this year. Um, and it, it was obviously a corresponding room, move to Brian Monet coming back, but it was a little bit short-sighted and just that we don't have a lot of depth at that position. And now you see yourselves with a Jaron Reed that, We'll see what happens this week. He's got a strained oblique. He looked like he was in some serious pain coming off the field towards the end of that game today. And if you're without Jaron Reed, you're suddenly down to Puna Ford and Brian Monet as your starters, and you don't really have a third guy at defensive tackle. In like we were talking with Husky football, Sam, a position that you like to have a little bit of rotation at. You know, fat guys yeah. don't have the best the best endurance. So you like to have a little bit of rotation at that position. And I don't know what it, it probably amounts to a practice squad guy coming up. I don't know who that would be at this point where you see um, like a, isn't Demontre Moore back? Like he might slide inside for 
some snaps or LJ Collier will probably slide in inside yeah. for some snaps. Like you'll, you'll figure something out. They'll, they'll deal with it how they will. But um, obviously you see a, a little bit of a short sighted move with snacks Harrison being released this last week. And then kind of the worst, worst of your fears happening this week. Yeah. And the, the biggest thing is that snacks is now going to be on the Packers. So yeah. <laughs> kind of rub some, rub some dirt in the wound there. Yeah, I think that could be a potentially devastating injury. It'll be interesting to see what kind of moves, roster moves they make this week to make up for that. But I do think that you'll see some of those bigger defensive ends slide inside and get some snaps inside, whether it's, like you said, LJ Collier, maybe, you know, Rasheen Green can plug in there a little yeah, bit. Green can but do it. It'll be interesting to see. And I mean, obviously, we're hoping that Jaron Reed can get his cortisone shot right into the abs and get it together. But he was walking pretty hunched over, like wasn't looking good. Yeah. The, the, the problem that I see is that we're going to probably be lacking size at that position in a game that the Rams are going to run the ball. So, yeah. And we need, I mean, Jared Goff, assuming he plays, uh, we talked about it last time when we were previewing the Rams, but the key for that is pressure on Goff. Yep. Yep. When he has pressure, he sucks. Absolutely awful. When there's no pressure on him, he can carve a defense. And up. who was so. the most effective pass rusher for us in the game last week? Right. Exactly. Aaron Reed. So um, that's why it's a big concern for me. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, Sam, like you were saying, let's let's put a bow on this season, though, and revisit some of the predictions that we had. And I think I think that was our initial episode with Justin talking some yep. Seahawks and Sounders way back in that must have been like november ish or so episode six yeah that's right so november ish sounds right but yeah we obviously had some predictions here for um not only kind of like the the seahawks final record but also kind of our second half breakout player we didn't really like i feel like we should have done more predictions looking back at this we obviously did kind of like first half reviews and i think we yeah. kind of stressed those more but We'll we'll talk about what our sec our second half breakout players were. Sam had Carlos Dunlap, I had Quandre Diggs, and Justin had Trey Flowers. So all of us went with defensive players. But I think we'd be hard pressed not to give Sam the W on this one. Carlos Dunlap, a midseason acquisition, and obviously had a tremendous impact on this pass rush not only from his own statistics, but loosening up for things for other players. And I mentioned it last week, Sam, I'm just going to give you a little bit of credit here with some statistics that the Seahawks, I think now have 46 sacks on the year, which I think still is about seventh or so in the league. I mentioned to Justin last week that they had 12 sacks in the first eight games. Ooh. So that's 36. Four sacks in eight games now, the second Pretty half good. of the year. Yeah, and this is this is like I I I need to pull up some of these stats and I'll you can come back to me on this, but that it's one of the better pass rushing teams if you're just looking purely at statistics that the Seahawks have ever had. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty impressed with myself to be honest with this. You know, pick that I made here. With Don't pat yourself down. on the back too hard. Dude. <laughs> I think it was a pretty obvious choice. I think I stole it. I think I went first. Mm -hmm. You guys probably would have picked him, but 
I think he's had a huge impact. He's loosened things up for someone like Benson Maioa. We've, you know, Jaron Reed has gotten in on some sacks as well. I also think it honestly helped Jamal Adams on some of these blitzes coming off the edge right on Carlos Dunlap's hip. And I think when you are citing these pass rush statistics, it's really been the Carlos Dunlap Jamal Adams show. And I think they've both been helping each other in that, in that regard, but I'm happy with the pick. Honestly, Connor, I think Quandre Diggs isn't a terrible pick. He's had a good second half of the season as well. He's team leader in interceptions, you know, at that deep safety spot. I think he's played pretty damn well. Justin kind of got the short end of the stick. Trey Flowers. <laughs> yeah. I would try well. to... Also got injured, but. Right. That uh, was a will thing. into existence type of pick. Like I wanted that to happen. Um, let's just insert second corner there. And yeah, then DJ, DJ Reed appears. Yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's probably the second guy that we point to here. If you're talking about a second half breakout player. And even if it's only really after, like over the last three or four games, DJ Reed has made it tremendous impact on this team obviously we talked about how this team not only the pass rush is kind of where it started but they were awful at covering too like and we talked about quentin dunbar being playing possibly the worst game that we've ever seen from a cornerback in that bills game um and to see someone like dj reed emerge and for us to acquire him for next to nothing too from the Niners, be it of all teams. It's, it's an amazing job by John Schneider and staff, as well as um, Pete making, making a, making a decision and developing a guy to, um, to really kind of shine at that second cornerback position. And I think also gives us a little bit, if we're looking a little bit further, gives us a little bit of an easier, uh, time possibly letting Shaq Griffin go next year is having someone like DJ Reed in the mix that we're probably going to be able to resign for fairly cheap. And I think we actually have him on in on contract through next year already. Um, but Shaq Griffin's obviously going to be super expensive. And I, I think it would be a mistake. I wouldn't rule it out, but I think it would be a huge mistake if the Seahawks resigned him. So DJ Reed has obviously been um, a, a big impact player for the Seahawks in the second half of the year and, and would make letting go of Shaq Griffin a lot easier, at least in my mind. Yeah. I generally would agree with that as well. I think, you know, hats off to, to Pete Carroll and John Schneider, a couple of mid season additions that we're calling out here that have made huge difference on this defense, whether it's Carlos Dunlap, Jamal Adams and DJ Reed, like those are three guys that have really turned the table for us. And in season, it's hard to make some of those moves, but they've definitely paid dividends for us for sure. Yeah. I think the other guy that I would just throw the hat in the ring here for or his, his name in the, in, in the ring here um, is Jordan Brooks. And it was nice to see a first round pick actually kind of develop into a really solid contributor for us this year and a hell of a player, actually. Like, I mean, if, if we didn't have two really pro bowl, but borderline all pro linebackers and they keep proving age wrong with Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright kind of turning back the clock, but they're playing really well right now. And if those two aren't on the field, 
and one of them goes down, I have full confidence in Jordan Brooks to be able to get the job done now. And um, I think he'd be starting on a lot of teams at this point with, with the talent that he has Uh, really, really excited about what we could see from this player and his development, especially over the second half of this year and what that means for the future. So I, I just want to throw his name out there just as a player that's obviously played pretty well over the past, especially like six games or so. Yeah. I think that's a really good shout out. I think he's, he's the heir apparent for Bobby when his time comes, I mean, Mm -hmm. very similar in stature, similar sideline to sideline speed as a young Bobby Wagner and they look a lot alike. And as of late, they're starting to play a lot alike. So I think that's a great call out. Yeah, he's playing fast and physical. I love it. So I think Jordan Brooks is going to end up developing into a pretty pretty damn good player for the Hawks for years to come. Sam, real quick, I do want to talk about, I found these stats that I was looking for when it came to the pass rush. And this just really exemplifies the second half turnaround. Obviously, all of our picks are defensive players for second half breakout player because the first eight games, the defense was absolutely awful. Uh and it all kind of started with this this lack of pass rush, though. And Brian Nemhauser at Hawk Blogger on Twitter had a couple stats tonight. He always does Sunday night stats and finds some good ones usually. So a couple here. Seahawks finished with 46 sacks on the season after having 28 last year. That was the second largest jump in sacks from one season to the next. That's plus 18. In franchise history, the biggest jump plus 20 came from 1995 to 1996, and that was from 28 to 48. The other stat that he has here also relates to the 46 sacks. They are tied for the seventh most in franchise history with the 1992 squad that featured defensive player of the year, Cortez Kennedy, uh, Rip, Rip Tez. Um, and that is... I wouldn't have guessed this, but that's two more than the 2013 LOB and nine more than 2014 LOB. Like those are more than guys like Cliff Averill, Michael Bennett, Chris, Chris Clemens, like that defensive line was one of the best defensive line rotations that I can remember in Seahawks history, at least from my, you know, 28 years of fandom. So that's, that's impressive guys. And obviously having a safety or as he calls himself a defensive weapon contract negotiations are coming up guys. He's not calling himself the safety. He's going to call himself kind of a pass rusher. Jamal Adams has been a huge contributor towards that, but Carlos Dunlap is someone obviously that, that contributed to that as well, but it's coming from different areas. I think Justin and I talked about this last week. It's coming from guys like Jaron Reed. It's coming from guys like Alton Robinson. We didn't, we're didn't. we seeing not a lot of snaps from him. I think he deserves more playing time. Mayoa, like we mentioned, um, uh, uh, Rasheem Green, Puna Ford. Like all these guys are contributing to the pass rush, and it's not just blitzing now. It started off with blitzing. It's not just blitzing now. So that's sustainable. Um, I mentioned it last week, and I think the defensive turnaround is real. They've proved it against a good offense in the Rams who they face this next week. And I think is a good segue to let's preview this game a little bit, guys. So the Seahawks play the Rams Seahawks versus Rams part three. 
a division opponent next Saturday, January 9th at 1.40 on Fox. And uh, obviously going into last game, Justin, you've been basically all about, you, you know, you've been Sean McVay's biggest supporter and essentially a, a Rams fan from the outside. Um, I want to I wanna ask you how you're feeling going into this game all things considered with the way that the Seahawks performed this week, but also keeping in mind how they performed last week and the injury situation that uh, is the elephant in the room for, for the quarterback position for the, the Rams. Yeah. I feel better than I did going into the last Rams game. Uh, That's positive. Yeah. So let's break it down a little bit. So defense wise, Seahawks defense versus their offense. I think obviously the key is still getting pressure. Um, we don't quite know Jared Goff's status as we're recording this Sunday night, but if I had to guess, I think he'll play or he'll try to make a go at it. So the key to Jared Goff obviously is to get pressure, pressure on him. So, uh, you know, if we can't do that full, with four, we need to try to bring five, but hopefully Carlos Dunlap and co can, get pressure on him. Uh, as far as other players for them, Cam Akers returned in their game today, had 21 rushes for 34 yards, I believe, which is pretty atrocious. So not great. Um, again, if going back to the point, let's make Jared Goff and company beat us and try to get pressure on him. As far as one of their biggest offensive weapons, Cooper cup, he tested positive for COVID this week, this past week, I should say. Um, unsure we play on saturday i don't know how long or how many tests and how long you have to be out with a positive COVID test but i know they're hoping he's back but i think it's 10 days mm -hmm. no they're hoping he's going to be back for this game but we'll see mm -hmm. uh, i hope he's not because he eats our lunch every time yeah, we right. play he was really the only guy that was giving us problems last week so yeah like him as a player but really hope he uh He's feeling great, but is ineligible to play next right. week. Yeah. We'll go we'll obviously that. hope that he's like healthy from a COVID perspective, but that he's not... Just not cleared to play. Not cleared to play. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, moving to our offense, I think it's going to be similar to what we had to face last, what, two weeks ago, mm -hmm. where it's going to be a slog. Their defense is going to get pressure. They're going to get three to four sacks on Russ. I mean, Aaron Donald is a beast. We saw him destroy, who was it, Simmons uh, on one play uh a couple weeks ago or i guess last week oh, yeah George uh, Simmons. i mean so if we have to double uh, aaron donald then they have other dangerous players brockers is probably going to come back for this game as well and so we just have to make sure we can you know call the right plays to connor's point and russell get rid of the ball to find the check downs or you know have a we have a healthy running back this year in the playoffs which is nice so can we you know, if we're in the lead, eat up clock in a playoff Thanks. game. Yeah, Sam, I did say run the ball. Um, Can't believe to, it. <laughs> to close out the game. So I, I see this as a low scoring game, just as we've learned from how these teams have played the Rams being number one EPA um, defense the whole entire year and the Seahawks improving the last few weeks. So I see this as a low scoring game, but um, yeah, a struggle for us. And it's a divisional game, so we know each other really well but curious to hear your guys' thoughts. For sure. Go ahead, Sam. Yeah, I generally think that we should win this game. I I liked what I saw when we played the Rams just last week. I think if Jared Goff does play, he's not going to be 
totally a hundred percent and that's his throwing hand. So I think, you know, worst case scenario from a Seahawks perspective, we're facing, you know, an 85% Jared Goff, 85% healthy best case scenario. We don't see him at all. And I like our chances against that defensively. I think offensively we'll do enough, kick some field goals here and there and score enough points to win the game. So honestly, probably be a little bit of a repeat from the last game that we saw, but it's, it's never going to be pretty when we play the Rams. I don't expect that to be any different just for the same reasons that you mentioned with the way that their defense matches up against our offense and the way that we've been struggling offensively. Russell's not going to be comfortable back there. And I think it's going to be a little bit of a ugly win, whether we win 20 to nine, like we did last time, or if it's 13 to nine, who knows, but I don't anticipate it to be a high scoring game either way. Yeah. I, I tend to agree with you guys. The one thing that I want to bring up here that we haven't mentioned is Brandon Shell. And we've seen Cedric Abwehi, I think that's how you say it, fill in pretty admirably. I think he played honestly pretty well against the Rams. And then who do we play the week before that? The Washington football team. Yeah, he played pretty well in both those games but uh, largely struggled in this last game against the Niners. I didn't think he had a great, great day today. Um, and honestly, since Brandon Shell's been down, which it's been like five or six weeks, because I think Jamarco Jones filled in there for a little while as well. Um, but but since since Brandon Shell has been out, he uh, the Wilson has been way less confident in his protect protection you've seen him try to um either rush his decisions and uh like try to escape up the middle when there's not pressure coming from the sides it's coming from the middle (laughs) he runs right into a fat dude um you've seen him yeah like not not try to extend a play and really try to either throw the ball away or give up on a play uh too quickly um, and just rushes decisions in general. So I think, I think if Brandon shell, he's in, he's in contact tracing for COVID right now. I should, I should bring that up. He had someone that the way that it was described, someone that he works with. I don't know what that means. Cause he's obviously an employee of the Seattle Seahawks. So I don't know what that means. If there's something, someone like working on his house or something like that, that, um, tested positive for COVID. So he has been pulled into contact tracing and uh, has tested negative so far. So as long as he continues to test negative, he will be available for this game. And before that, he's obviously been injured. So he is healthy now. And especially at this point of the year, when you're going into playoff games, if you're like 80%, you're playing. So he's been above 80% and, uh, probably would have played if it was a playoff game the the last couple of weeks before this COVID issue. So I think that's that's an underrated storyline going into this this Rams game is is if we get Brandon Shell back, and I think it's more just for Re- Russell's psyche more than anything, just like trusting kind of that right tackle position who has been s- super solid, you know, in the games that he's played this year, 
and one of the more underrated signings that John Schneider had this offseason. And we've we've talked about Jermaine Ifedi or Ifedi. I say Ifedi because that's what Evan Hill says to kind of troll him. But Jermaine Ifedi has been the right tackle for your Seahawks for the last three or four years. And Brandon Shell is definitely an above average right tackle and is a huge step up from Jermaine Ifedi. So I hope that he ends up being eligible to play on Saturday for, for the Hawks against the Rams. And if so, I think you will see a more confident Russell Wilson just in his protection, at least. And I think that amounts to something overall. I do see this game playing out pretty similarly to you guys though. I do. I it's too, if you're looking at trends, two good defenses right now. And um, Seahawks definitely have the better offense though. If you're looking at the two as well. So I would tend to favor the Seahawks, especially, you know, they have home field advantage for what's that, what that's worth in, in these playoffs right now um, in this game. And uh, I do see a, a defensive struggle though, and a tightly contested game and probably too close for comfort for, for most of the, most of the matchup. Yeah. So are we going to give score predictions or are we saving yep, those? I think, I think that's okay. probably the next step unless, I mean, we could technically do, I guess we didn't talk about this before and this is completely unprofessional of us. Um, if we were going to do a midweek podcast this week, but um, I think, I think we probably have a, we just played the Rams. Like we have a pretty general yeah. sense of how this game is going to go. I don't think that's going to be necessary. So um, I say, I say we do score predictions now. Cool. I'll go first. I think that it's going to be very similar. I think Russell's going to find his pockets, but it's going to be a struggle. I think we're going to get sacks. There's going to be punts. It's going to be frustrating at times, but we're going to get it done. I think the Rams are going to have a very similar performance. They, they outgained us. They had more passing yards, more rushing yards, et cetera, but they got stalled on the fourth, on fourth downs a couple of times or turnovers. I think you'll see them get into the end zone an additional time. So I'm going to go 20 to 16 Seahawks with the narrow win over the Rams. Sounds about yep. right. I think yep. I'll go a little bit lower scoring than that. I think both offenses will continue to struggle in this matchup. I'll go Seahawks win 17 to Ten or thirteen? I haven't. No, I'll go with ten. Seventeen, ten. Hmm. I'm right in between optimistic Connor and negative Connor. Ooh, negative <laughs> Connor. Come to the dark side. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> I don't think I can bring myself to saying that we're going to lose in the first round against the Rams. Dude. Um, that's what I'm saying. I, I don't think I can bring myself to that. So I can't even believe you're thinking that way. I'm not even thinking that way. I shouldn't be, especially with the health at quarterback on the opposing side. I I don't think this uh, this offense didn't score a touchdown against us last week, guys. And why should we expect them to this this week with a more unhealthy Jared Goff or? their backup and John Wolford. That's his name, I think. Yeah. Who didn't play that. I mean, he had some end game stuff that he did well, but they didn't play that they, great. They today. didn't score an offensive touchdown 
today, though. Even. I think you're right. Yes. Yeah, because so, they had an inter- interception return. Yeah. I think I think if you reach 17 points in this game, you're probably winning the game. Yeah. With that being said, I'm gonna go 20 to six. Ooh. Ooh. Nice. I like. I mean, I I would love that. Yeah. I I think it's frustrating though. I think that again, like that. It's one of those things that's probably close to a six to six game at halftime, kind of like last time, last game, and kind of like this. Was that the score for this game against the Niners too? Was it six to six at halftime? Nine to six. We weren't remember. losing. I think it was six to six. Or six, six to three, three or six to six. six. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think I think it's, there's going to be some field goals back and forth though, and then you know fourth quarter russell wilson time puts together a couple drives that end up sealing the game and one of them kind of comes late and when we kind of have the game already sealed um i think i i think another underrated storyline that you mentioned very briefly justin was the health of the running back back position and how atrocious that was last year um and that, that that we have three possibly three capable running backs that are going to be healthy going into this week. Um, and I guess three, no matter what, because if Carlos Hyde ends up being out, then you have Alex Collins fitting, filling in and he obviously played pretty well today and has shown some stuff. So Damn no matter good what, fourth I think string running back. Yeah. Right. 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 So we'll, we'll see what happens this week. I think, I think uh, we'll see what happens with Carlos Hyde. I, that was a little surprising to me. The, the way that that developed this last week, but we'll see what happens with his injury. Or I, it was an illness, wasn't it? But not COVID related. Non COVID related illness. Right? Yeah. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, but obviously Carson is healthy. He got his earring yanked out today, but that doesn't affect his running the football. So he's good. Um, you have Rashad Penny, who had a cramp today. Some of you guys might be wondering about his, his, quote unquote injury because he went out later in that game as well, but it was just cramps, so he'll be fine. Um and I thought he honestly looked pretty good today. Um and even last week too. So I'm excited to have Penny back. And then you're either gonna have Carlos Hyde or Alex Collins as well for that third running back. So I think having that three headed monster going to the playoffs, especially with in the forecast, it's supposed to rain on on Saturday. So Mr. Analytics, Justin, should we run the ball on Saturday? We should run it about 40% of the time. That's fair. It's probably fair. I think that's a f- more than fair. I'll take it. Yeah. Sounds I'll about take right. it. I will say, Aaron Donald, before we move on re- really quickly, yeah, Aaron definitely. Donald post-game after the Cardinals game asked, was told that the Seahawks will be his opponent. He said that's who the Rams want. They really want the Seahawks. He'll probably come up motivated. Yeah. You know, and maybe we'll be proved wrong. I don't know, but I just uh, I think they're gonna have a hard time scoring some points. Yeah, I'm not worried about the Rams' defense. I think they're fine. It's the offense that, or rather, the Rams' offense. Yeah, like if I'm a Rams fan, I don't worry about their defense performing. I think it's their offense that is gonna give them trouble. Right. Right. Yeah, and that's why I I think we all see it the same way. I think they're I think defense is gonna be motivated and. 
might get some stuff between the 20s against them and maybe we get a couple long field goals from Jason Myers in the first half and I don't think I don't, I don't think a touchdown is scored in this game until the second half much like we've seen for the past few weeks so we'll see what we'll see what happens but it should be an interesting one against the Rams on Saturday obviously excited for the Seahawks to be back in the playoffs again and do we want to talk potential matchups for the second game i mean i think we're getting pretty deep into this podcast here we could probably just save that for if the seahawks win (laughs) yeah i i think we will win and then we can do a recap of the game and talk about the next matchups cool especially with it being like super wild card weekend with three games there's just yeah three games we could do a whole we could do a whole episode on potential outcomes oh yeah not prepared to go down that wormhole quite yet (laughs) that's fair totally fair so i think with that said let's touch out some pro dogs real quick um and uh pretty quiet pretty quiet in week 17 for pro dogs but we did have a couple couple little shout outs that we wanted to make here and just or uh, sorry sam you weren't on the last podcast so i'm gonna let you go ahead and lead off and give some love to to one of our boys that hasn't really gotten his true opportunity in the NFL. You're talking about Dante? Dante, yeah. I wasn't sure because there's two of them, but, but I there guess are. I wouldn't I wouldn't call Tristan my boy. But Dante Pettis, right, a beloved Husky football fan, you know, player rather, but as a fan, you know, had those great memories both as a receiver and a punt returner. He never really seemed to get quite a fair shake. As a San Francisco 49er, he was a midseason release, and the New York Giants picked him up. He had two big receptions in this game for 43 yards and a touchdown. So seeing Dante kind of, you know, carve out a role for himself in that Giants offense has been awesome to see, and hopefully it's something that you can carry into the offseason and continue to build upon that connection with Daniel Jones. And then I guess since I already said his name, I'll, I'll call out Tristan Viscano. We talked about him earlier in the podcast. Didn't even know he was still pursuing a professional career kicking the ball. But if you watch the Seahawks game, you notice that he had a perfect day for the 49ers three for three on the field goals, hit a pretty impressive 47 yarder. Um, So he looks better today than he ever did in purple and gold. So I was he, just going to say that I'd never remember him being that good. He was fine. Like, right. especially like his last year, he was fine, but he missed a lot of kicks too. Yeah. Earlier in yeah. his career. So awesome to see that. Always happy to have another pro dog in the league. So, again, similarly to Dante Pettis, hopefully he can carry some of that momentum into the mm. offseason. Whether or not he sticks with the 49ers, who knows? But, you know, Kickers seem to come and go pretty quick these days. And even just having one good showing like he did today might, well, will for sure give him some opportunities throughout the league as they get ready for the 2021, 2022 season. So happy to see that. And then our two headed monster down in Miami had a pretty good day too. Didn't they Connor? Yeah. I mean, albeit in a decimation by the bills, but our boys Salvan Ahmed and Miles Gaskin both got in the end zone today uh, for the Dolphins. So, unfortunately, they miss out on the playoffs. 
this 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 season and sam and i have long said i guess throughout the last few weeks not really long said but throughout the last few weeks we've been saying that the dolphins are our afc team so kind of a bummer and unfortunate that their season ends today and we're not going to see them in some postseason action but there's something there, man. I think I think the Dolphins are happy with the, what they have in the in the backfield, and I'm I'm happy that both of their their options, at least at the end of the year, were were pro dogs, and see how that develops. Um, but um, I think both of those guys put on some pretty good tape for for their for their careers, and we'll see what that develops into in in 2021. Yeah, and the Dolphins have the third overall pick from the Texans as well, so we'll see. That's it true. Be interesting how they yeah. retool. Yeah, I, I don't. I haven't even looked like at the draft besides the two quarterbacks that are going to go at the top. So, do you know if there's like a pass rusher or someone that's going? Um, that's offensive like tackle from Oregon is really okay. highly regarded. Oh, Penny Sowell. Yeah, I don't think he's that good. That's on all the on the draft boards. That's where he is, though. Yeah, they're wrong. Um, he sucks. <laughs> and then a lot of hype is on. He opted Zach, out. A lot of hype is on Zach Wilson, the BYU quarterback, as well. Oh God, I really hope they don't draft <laughs> him. Yeah, I would not be drafting that guy. Mm-hmm. Not great. And then Sam, I saw that you entered this little uh, <laughs> yeah. little Mariner segment here. That's probably going to last about twenty seconds. So why don't you? Go yeah. Ahead? Well, if you're paying attention around the NFL, you saw the Cleveland Browns snapped their playoff drought and have clinched a bid for the playoffs this season, which would make yours truly, the Seattle Mariners, the worst franchise in North American sports. Congratulations. Round of applause, everyone. I will crickets. say all enter all enter crickets right there. Yeah. The Browns took care of their curse in 2021, technically. So here's to hoping that the Mariners can do the same. Yep. Yep. We can hope. We can hope and pray and you know, whatever else comes along with that. And all all the good things. whatever positivity you can put into the Mariners this year, please do it because they need it it's been it's been a rough decade or two decades it's just crazy they're the last major pro sports team to make the playoffs from seattle and we don't even have a basketball team and the last mlb team to make the world series pretty sick save us kyle lewis save us kyle lewis (laughs) (laughs) it's a good start it's a good start for sure having a rookie of the year on your team is not a bad thing so Jared Kellenick, use your witchcraft powers. Help us. Yeah. Yeah. Please just debut for the, the Mariners this year. That's that's all I'm open. We'll have plenty of Mariners talks in the future, but I think that's probably mostly going to wrap up this episode uh, unless you guys had anything else to say about any kind of Seattle sports. Kind of covered it. Yeah. I'm, I think we covered our bases for the day. Sam, I talked to Justin, I think off mic, last last ep- last episode um so we'll bring it up to our listeners now um i think it's i think it's worth bringing up to our listeners but obviously we have a hockey team and an nhl team coming to seattle in 2021 so not this season that's about to start for our nhl but 
the 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 following season in in 2021 assuming everything kicks off uh at the normal time of year and sam and i want to make a little bit more of a concerted effort to learn hockey and do that hockey as do that hockey that's right uh as chance the rapper says let's do that hockey um and so i think we're gonna try to during these kind of slower winter months next couple of months or so we'll try to watch like one nhl game a week and maybe have a segment or something like that on on one every other every other podcast or something like that just to start to learn some of the players and obviously just the game of hockey as as we look forward to the kraken debuting later in the year um so i i i think hockey is going to be big here in seattle i think there's there's a fan base that can really get behind a team especially in a season that we don't have another major sport right now so we have husky basketball and they're in the shitter so that's that's about it um so i i i think that we're going to try to try to incorporate that into our episodes somehow not sure exactly how it looks but for sure sam and i are going to make a concerted effort to try to watch maybe maybe a game or two a week of of nhl just so that we get a little bit more familiar with with the NHL in general, as well as the players, as we as we look forward to an expansion draft, I think that's in like June or July yep. as of now. So um, we'll have plenty of talk talk about the Kraken as as their debut season approaches. But I think that's going to call it a wrap on this episode, folks. Uh, Justin, before we shout out our own podcast, why don't you shout out yours over the top EPL? I mean, I feel like I'm just like a pseudo part of this one. I don't even need to. You anymore. are you are uh subscribe to this Your one. other podcast uh subscribe to this one and if you want to subscribe to another one check out over the top epl we're on all the same platforms that emerald city fandom is on so check us out if you're into english premier league and want to fa- follow captain america aka who sam Kristen Pulusic. That's right. Uh, one quick note before uh, before we sign off. I'm already a huge Seattle Kraken fan, Sam and Connor, because they have made a huge investment into analytics. Did they hire you? I wish. No. Oh. No, I'm not smart enough. But they got people smarter than me to to work in their analytics hey. department and get their. Hey. Uh... Don't 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 show it yourself, man. I mean. Oh, it's not shorty. I mean, these, I mean, I did not, you know, I'm not that deep in code. I mean, come on. <laughs> well, you're certainly Fuck. miles ahead of Sam and I. So whatever, whatever, whatever that, whatever that means. Maybe nah, it's... run the damn ball. Get off my oh. lawn. Wow. Okay. All right. We're changing. <laughs> we're changing Justin back to the dark side. I see. Yeah, yeah. I just can't wait for this momentum to carry us through to the next week. That's right. <laughs> you don't well, anyway, know what folks... the word means. anyway folks we have a huge seahawks game playoffs are starting for the nfl this next weekend saturday Um, my my belated birthday present is going to be a seahawks victory on saturday is what is what i'm hoping so um hope hope that we get a victory on saturday and then we can look forward to a divisional round matchup that hopefully we can get past and i i mean i think like the Hawks have as good of chance as any of the top three seeds, probably to make the Super Bowl. So, yep. 
Um, we'll see how we'll see how it all all lines up. But um, first first test obviously is against the Rams this next Saturday, and division opponent that we're well well versed against, and hopefully we we come out on top. Anyway, guys, thanks for listening. As always, we appreciate the support. Subscribe and follow if you haven't already and leave us a message via the anchor leak in our description. Um, we love interacting with our fans. So please send us any kind of questions. If you have any analytics questions, make sure you like cater those towards Justin. We'll forward those along to him. But until next time. Go Hawks and go dogs. <laughs>